listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business of Baking podcast. It's Michelle chatting to you today and I'm really pretty excited to be talking to somebody who is a friend of mine but also a professional in an area that I wish I knew more about. So I think this is going to be an educational experience, not just for you guys but for me as well. So today I'm going to be talking to Corey Keaton-Pope who is a friend of mine. She is the owner and badass businesswoman who owns Keaton PR. She's based out of Denver, Colorado. And I feel like I have to say Colorado, not Colorado, to make sure that I'm sounding <laughs> legit about these things. So I really wanted to invite her onto the podcast today to talk about PR and marketing and social media and all that kind of stuff that you guys ask me about all the time. For sure, the number two thing I get asked about beyond pricing is always about how do I get my name out there? How do I get people to be aware of my business? How do I, you know, get this marketing happening? And Corey, I didn't mention this before, but I probably should have that one of the things we really struggle with as an industry, and of course I am generalizing here, but one of the things we really struggle with is as an industry, we've got lots and lots of introverts, like lots. And I think that probably that's because we like to spend our time with cake and cake doesn't talk back <laughs> and doesn't require us to be social. Uh, so that's, that's also a struggle is how to deal with, uh, you know, PR and marketing and stuff when you are an introvert. So we'll, we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff, but in the meantime, welcome Corey to the business of baking podcast. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pretty exciting thing because yeah, I like to interview people on the podcast who maybe people haven't heard of yet, but they need to. So we're going to make you famous in the cake world. <laughs> all right. Wonderful. I yeah. love cake. Well, there you go. So see, you're already in the right place. So let's start at the very beginning. So when we talk about marketing, I say to people, the most basic definition of marketing, right? is just letting people know who you are and what you do. Like, that's it. But when I say that, people then go, oh, so does that mean like I put an ad in something? Does that mean like I go to a wedding fair? Or they say things like, I, well, I post on Facebook like 10 times a day. That's good, right? So can you explain for us we're talking about marketing and assuming that that includes public relations and advertising and social media, like what is the difference between all of those three things? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Actually, um, one of the biggest challenges that I have just owning a PR firm is helping people understand what is the difference between public relations and advertising and social media and marketing and all those things. So um, what I would say about that is that all of those disciplines are very closely aligned and they're becoming more closely aligned all the time, kind of as the way people get information changes and evolves. So at a very high level, I would say that um, all of these disciplines fall under kind of the marketing umbrella. But when I'm talking about public relations, I'm really thinking about the way that you get the message out about your company or your brand or your products without having to pay for that space. 
So let's just think about a magazine for a minute. Um, you have the articles and then you have the ads. Well, public relations is really all about getting yourself in the articles or in something in the magazine that you don't have to pay for. Think of it as we use the phrase earned media is a phrase that we use a lot in PR. And that means you're in that story because you earned your way into that story. You have something worthwhile and relevant to say that the people who are watching that TV show or reading that newspaper or listening to that radio program or podcast, you have something to say that they're interested in. So you've earned your way in there. You haven't bought your way in there. Advertising on the other side, we refer to as paid media. So that's the ads in the magazine. If you have enough money, you can be included in that magazine. You just buy an ad. And a couple of really distinct differences are you have a lot more control. If you're purchasing an ad, you pretty much have total control over what that ad says, what color it is, what it looks like, where it goes in the publication. But a couple of drawbacks there is that uh, advertising costs a lot of money generally, and it, it always costs more money than earning your way into the publication because that's sort of unpaid. Um, and it also doesn't really have the same credibility as being in the story, right? If you're flipping through a magazine and you read an article about something really compelling, that's going to stick with you a lot longer than if you see an ad for something that you sort of breeze by. Not to say advertising is not worthwhile, it is, but those are just a couple of distinct differences. And then the third one that I would kind of touch on and you asked about is social media. And this is where the lines get really blurry and a little bit gray. I would say social media is sort of intertwined with the two, with PR and with advertising. Everybody roughly knows what social media is, right? It's where we're posting to all of our social media channels and trying to get as many followers and likes as we can. But these days, every public relations campaign that we recommend to our clients includes a component of social media. So we're doing social media in addition to our traditional earned article placements. And sometimes we're even including sponsoring posts or paying for social posts or paying for a post to be boosted to get it in front of more eyes. So I feel like when you add social to the mix is when the lines get pretty gray, but still it's its own very distinct practice. There's just a lot of crossover between the three. Yeah. And, and ideally a good marketing plan includes all of these things, right? To some degree. It does. Now, you know, the first thing that I think of when we start talking about a plan that includes all three of these things is the price tag that's associated with that, right? So, yes, um, if you think about really big companies, really well-known global brands, they're doing all of this and more. A lot of times when we're talking to smaller businesses, you have to sort of pick and choose um, what you have time for, what you have the budget for, what's going to work best for you. But yeah, if you can use all of these and then even even more traditional marketing tactics together, that's kind of the perfect situation. Okay, so that brings me to a really interesting question. Thank you for that, for clarifying. Because I've often, I've used similar definitions, but I think sometimes people just still look at me and like, oh, you mean ads? I'm like, well, no, I don't just mean ads. Not exactly, exactly right. So okay. this is a really interesting thing because the money is a major issue for small businesses, right? They, they, we tend to spend our money, particularly in the food industry, we tend to spend our money on like, toys. <laughs> Let's just be real, right? You know, new gadgets and new things that help us create a better product. And I'm always like, you know what, you actually need to put money aside for your marketing, for your PR, for your social media, all this thing. But there's a real fear among small businesses that I'm going to invest all this money and I'm not going to get a return on that investment. So 
you know, and I say to people, you need to, you know, my, my general advice is when it comes to any kind of marketing or PR, if you're going to spend money on it, you need to quantify what you want out of it other than dollar for dollar, because you're not always going to get out of it dollar for dollar. It doesn't equate with, I put an ad in for a thousand dollars, I'm going to get a thousand dollars of business out of that. So what do you say to smaller companies who are like, well, I'm worried. What if I spend this money and nothing comes out of it? Well, uh, I would say welcome to entrepreneurship and, and running a business, right? I mean, I don't think that that's a challenge that's specific to small businesses or specific to marketing. I think that businesses of all types and all sizes face that challenge, right? Where do we invest our money and what if we choose wrong and it doesn't work? So uh, I would, part of, part of that answer is just that kind of comes with the territory. Um, obviously, as someone who does PR, I believe very strongly in the value of PR and marketing your business. So um, I would say that, you know, there you can, there are ways that you can kind of do it yourself and dip your toe in the marketing and PR water. I imagine that many of the people listening to this uh, podcast are already doing much of their own social media. So, you know, they've already kind of started down this road. What's the next step? What else could you be doing to kind of expand this program on your own? If you're worried about, you know, setting aside some money for it. The next step then is to start to look for a consultant who can help you maybe a few hours a week or a few hours of month, a month. And then obviously the campaigns can just grow from there and the size of your investment and the size of the firm that you're working with can grow from there. Um, we can talk more about some of the specific things that you want to look for when you're looking for a partner, uh, some of the specific things that you can do if you want to try this do-it-yourself model. Uh, there's kind of a whole spectrum of options for people who want to kind of give marketing a try, but I would say give it a try at, at some level because you're just not able to really successfully promote your business by, you know, being in your kitchen with all of your fancy new gadgets and not really telling anyone about what you're doing. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you said that because my constant battle is I get dozens of email, literally dozens of emails a week from people saying like, Michelle, my product's amazing. And yet how come I'm not getting any orders? And I always, like my first question is, what are you actively doing to get orders? What are you actively mm. doing to let people know you exist? And most people either say nothing or they shrug and go, uh, Facebook. So for those guys who are truly at the, like, you know, really just at the very bottom level, if they wanted to DIY a little bit of PR, how, what, do we, what would you suggest they do? Like, how would they start that process of like, yeah, I want to start getting it out there. So what would you say are some early steps that somebody could take who truly is kind of like still sitting at home in gadget land? <laughs> I love that idea. Cause it's so true. Like yeah. particularly in the food industry, we are obsessed with toys. Like toys are yeah. a thing for us. So for that person who's really at the very bottom what would you suggest is a couple of tips to just kind of get started with PR on their own? Yeah. So I love this question. Um, one of the most basic tenets of PR is that most PR campaigns are sort of built on what we call media relations. And that is the, the work of getting your business in the media in some capacity in this like earned media type of situation we were talking about earlier. So if you're new at this and you just want to start to give it a try, the very first piece of advice that I would give you is just to start paying closer attention to the media. 
watch the news in your hometown, read baking or trade industry publications, read the newspaper in your hometown. Maybe that's line. Maybe it's a, um, you know, digital version of something that you like, but start to be a more active and aware consumer of the media that's around you. And, and when you're doing Look for places where you would fit in to a story or a segment or a part of a broadcast. A really good place to start to look for this is morning news programs in your local town, wherever you live. Um, many local morning shows will have, you know, anywhere from four minutes to 15 minutes of kind of lifestyle interview segments during their morning news broadcast. Now, as the day goes on, you get less and less of that kind of lifestyle news. And certainly by the evening news, it's just all the hard hitting news of the day. But in the mornings, a lot of times there's still some time carved out for this lifestyle stuff. So start to watch those shows and pay attention to like, oh, maybe there's someone on there this week who's a chef at a popular restaurant in my hometown talking about, you know, how to make at home their signature dish. And then translate that to your business. Maybe a month from now, you could be in that chef's spot talking instead about do-it-yourself ideas for recreating this beautiful cake at home. Or, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe you find a place in your local newspaper where they have a food column and they run recipes from readers once a month. That's a great place for you to get in touch with that editor and suggest a recipe or an idea. So these are just kind of, you know, random ideas that I'm kind of pulling out of thin air, but at the very base of it all, it's about being a more active and conscientious consumer of the media and just starting to look for places where you would fit into the story. And then the next step is figuring out, well, who writes that story? Who's the anchor on the TV show? Who's talking to the chef? And reach out to those people, which is going to come back to your introvert question in a minute. But, but that's kind of the way that the process works is figure out who's, who's putting together the news that you want to be a part of, and then figure out how you can get in touch with those people and suggest that they interview you next time. One of the best, um, I love that we are talking about local marketing because one of the best things I ever, marketing things I ever did was actually a mistake, not really a mistake, but it was unintentional in that we were having a first year, like, yeah, yes, yeah, so we've been open for a year party at the shop. And I, um, I actually called like the local paper, like we have this very like local newspaper and I was like, Hey, can we like put in a press release or whatever? I Googled how to write a press release. I was serious. Yeah. I was totally making, making this up as I went along and I Googled how to write a press release. And I wrote this probably now that I think about it, it's probably pretty terrible, but it was all I had. And the reporter actually came in to meet us and did a whole article on us and you know, this whole thing. And I was astounded at how many people came to that first year opening party who had read that article. And really funny, like subsequently she, that reporter ended up ordering like her kids' birthday cakes and like all the people who worked for that paper, obviously they were local, right? So they all came and started ordering stuff for their own families after that. And we had this whole group of clientele that were all reporters for this local magazine. And it honestly worked so well, but I was just literally flying blind. I literally was Googling how to write a press release and sent this probably really inadequate press release, which was like, hey, we're having a party to celebrate being in the neighborhood. And I was amazed at how many people came in the door and said, oh yeah, I saw your article in the local paper. I thought well, nobody, a, I thought nobody reads it. <laughs> really great example because you didn't know how to write a press release. You're not a PR person, but you can easily find enough information 
to do this so that it, it's at least getting you in front of the right people, right? And it worked. So who cares if your press release was top notch as if it were, were written by a, you know, industry veteran, it worked and it got the media there. You know, a lot of times, um, even big, so I live in Denver, Colorado, the Denver Post is our big daily newspaper in, in this city. Even the Denver Post and many big newspapers do maybe a weekly community insert or something on their website where they're covering community, like neighborhood news, right? And oftentimes those places are looking for information, news, interesting stories, businesses to profile in small neighborhoods or communities. So, you know, don't be scared off by the fact that you don't quite know where this fits or, oh, I don't have a community newspaper. It's out there. There are places out there. You just have to do a little searching. I just wanted to also mention for anybody wondering, like, how interesting is my story? I just make cakes. Like, who cares? Kind of thing. The truth is we all have a story within us, even the most basic story. Like at the moment, it's kind of PR gold, Corey, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping you agree with this, uh, to be a female in business. Like at the moment, issues around the, the gender, uh, you know, the wage gap and all this stuff like are really big issues, right? The future is female, all this kind of stuff. So really just being a female in business is actually in and of itself a good story. That is a good story. I'm hearing a lot of stories these days about people who are doing um, massive career changes, kind of what they call in the second chapter of their lives. So maybe they've retired from their first corporate gig and now they're looking for something, a way to like monetize a hobby that they have or spend more time doing things that they love. And so they've opened a bakery or, you know, that is a story. Um, it's interesting. I did a quick Google search before this conversation and I found that national chocolate cupcake day in the United States is October 18th. Well, that's a perfect opportunity for someone who makes cupcakes to call the local TV station and say, you know, call them a week or two ahead and say, National Chocolate Cupcake Day is coming up in a couple weeks. What if you had me on to show your viewers how to make a simple three-step chocolate cupcake at home? That You don't have to have groundbreaking, earth-shattering news within your own company to be able to find a way to fit into the news of the world. Yeah, you just have to have something people want to hear about, right? But what, what, what they want to hear about is often way more basic than we actually think, right? We don't it need is, some magical story. I think especially in the business of baking, the work that, that you are doing is something that we all can relate to. We all love to eat and most of us love to bake. Um, you know, everybody can kind of find a way to try to recreate what you're doing in our kitchens with our kids or, you know, here's just another random idea, but baking stories are really popular around the holidays. There could be a story around, you know, how to recreate grandma's pumpkin pie around Thanksgiving in the U S or favorite, um, Jewish holiday baking treats or Christian Christmas holiday baking treats and how to do those in your own kitchen with a, a room full of kids or get creative around what's going on in the world. It could be this national cupcake day. It could be the holidays. It could be the fact that you're a woman entrepreneur. It could be the fact that you started your bakery when you're 70 years old. All of those things are really relevant in our world right now. So that just kind of also goes back to just being aware of what people are talking about in the media and in the world around you and always thinking about how you fit in to those stories. Yeah. And we fit in more than we think we do. So Corey, I want to go back to the, the, the money bit of it. So I have like a major B in my bonnet. Oh, look at me using expressions from the 1950s. Uh, <laughs> I have a major B in my bonnet about 
like not working for free, right? Like I like have a real thing about that. And in pursuit of PR and in pursuit of marketing, whatever, a lot of times bakers and decorators get sent majillions of requests to work for free. Famous people want us to make things for free. Charities want us to make like all the time. And they always promise us this, you know, big golden goose egg of exposure. And my answer to that is always like, honestly, people die of exposure. So the answer I give is if you're going to work for free, then it's okay to choose that to work for free, but you have, if it's for a charity, it's got to be a cause you actually care about and don't expect that it's the charity's job to advertise you. If it's for a celebrity, then it's got to be a celebrity you care about or have some interest in. My, my thing is always don't just randomly do stuff in the hopes that those organizations or those bloggers or those people will bring the hordes knocking down your door. So I'm curious as somebody who works in the PR space, would you give that same advice? If somebody said to you, I get all these requests to do stuff for free, should I do it? What would your answer be to that? Well, it's interesting you're asking me this, Michelle, because like you said, we're friends and we've never talked about this and I have really strong feelings about this. I never work for free and I never recommend that someone else works for free. And I don't, I mean, I don't even work for trade. Um, if someone says, I want you to represent my restaurant and you can eat free at my restaurant every night for the next six months. I'm not interested in working for trade. We all work for money. And then I use my money to give to the charities that, or the nonprofits that I care about. I use my money to pay for the services, the bakers that I want or the services that I want or whatever I want. So, you know, are there opportunities to gain promotion for your company by doing, you know, work in kind or for trade? Maybe. Um, I would, I would not recommend it as a business owner and I hope I don't get too much kind of uh, blowback from that. But, you know, I am also a person who cares deeply about my community and I give back generously in my community, but I choose where I want to give that money to what organizations I care about. And then I give them the money that I earn from the work that I do. And if you want to spend that money on marketing or promoting your business, great. Ask to be paid for work that you do. And then you choose where you market your business or where you buy an ad or where you spend that money, however the case may be. Yeah. My, no, no, this, see, this is why we're friends. We, we've actually, if anybody listening, we've never had this conversation. And so like, <laughs> this is genuine. I'm like, I knew I loved Koi for a reason. Uh, so yeah. So like my general advice is basically don't do it, but if you are going to do it, then do it because it truly is a love job. And like, that's all yeah. you want out of it is love. Right. And so my thing is, if you're going to do something as an example, if you're going to do something for a charity, expecting that then you want something in kind, then to me, that's not actually being all that charitable. Right? Yeah. So that doesn't work for me, you know? Um, yeah. It's interesting. I, um, so one of my like very tiny claims to fame is that one of the last orders I ever did at my bakery before selling it was I made a birthday cake for Taylor Swift and this was like a big deal and I was all excited about it, whatever. And the woman who actually called me to place the order was herself a baker and decorator who just couldn't do the work. So she was helping <laughs> out her for whatever. And she called me and like the very first words out of her mouth was, you need to charge me properly like for this. And I, my answer to her was, well, why wouldn't I? Right. Like, I uh, last I checked, I don't know Tay Tay anything. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, and as yeah. much as it was exciting to tell my kids, like, oh, I made Taylor Swift's birthday cake, whatever, like, ultimately, that's not going to feed said kids. So, that's right. 
Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, a lot of people kind of get roped into doing work for trade, especially when it's sort of a sexy sort of trade and you feel like what you're getting is really worth, like I would do two hours worth of work to, in order to get a gift certificate at the hottest new restaurant in town, except I can't put my kids through college on restaurant gift cards. So, you know, pay me the money that I have earned by doing this work and then I will use it to come in and eat at your restaurant if that's where I want to spend that money. And then it's I would I would also add if you want to do work for exposure or work for visibility or for trade somehow try to be as explicit as you can up front about what you get in in return for your work. So don't just, you know, bake for a nonprofit because they say and then we'll tell everybody about you. Make sure that that's really explicit. Like do you get your logo on their website and your name in their newsletter? And are they going to mention you by name to their 5,000 attendees? And are they including you in your pre their press release? And can you put something in the goodie bags? Spell out exactly what you get before you enter into the agreement. So then you know exactly what to expect. And you're not just sort of spending your time and hoping for the best. And the, the other thing I would add to that is if you're choosing to do work for free for exposure, whatever, make sure it's to the right people. Like, don't be in some magazine for car enthusiasts if you never make anything that looks like a car or whatever. I, that's the other thing I find. That we have to filter so many requests for these things. And people are like, should I do this wedding magazine? And I'm like, do you make wedding cakes? And they're like, no. I'm like, so why would you be in that? So my, my second caveat to that would just be, if you're going to choose to do that stuff, absolutely get the parameters up front, but also make sure it's the people you're wanting to attract. You know, It like, is. And I think there's actually a pretty easy way out of this conversation. If, if you keep getting calls and you just, it's hard, you know, it's hard to say no. We don't want to say no as people and people who care about our communities and these wonderful organizations who are doing this great work. It can be very difficult to tell them no. I, I know that firsthand. I think one way that you can approach that is maybe at the beginning of the year, you pick out three nonprofits or five or whatever you have the capacity for, and you identify at the beginning of the year, these are my causes. I'm going to give my money to these groups. When their event rolls around, I'm going to bake for them, whatever the case may be. And maybe they're the same three every year, and maybe you change them up every year. But then when the other 90 call you throughout the year, you can say, oh my gosh, I've already picked my three for the year. I love the work that you're doing. Call me again in January when I'm figuring out my priorities for the year or something along those lines. And totally, this is why we're friends. I wrote a whole article about this, which basically said, pick your charity and stick to them. Yeah. Because it's a lot easier to say no when your answer is not just no, when your answer is no, because I support whoever, yes. you know, kids with cancer or whatever the story is. So yeah, completely. So I want to return to this DIY thing because I think that a lot of us, that's where we start, right? Is, is kind of figuring it out all ourselves. And so the advice of like, just figure out who the anchor is, you know, open up the bridal magazine. They all have lists of who their advertising and PR people are right there up the front, right? You open up Oprah magazine, there's two pages of people with email addresses and who they are. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard to find these people. In my case, by the way, when I was telling you that story about the, um, the local paper, I actually opened it up and found out the names of the reporters who were writing that lifestyle stuff. And then I sent my, my ridiculous, <laughs> my ridiculous press release to them directly. It's not that hard to actually figure out who the right person is. So let's say you've done that, right? And you, you know, you get the spread in the magazine, you get the whatever. Once you get that entry into that thing, whatever that thing is, how do you maximize mm. that? Like now you're in. So now what do you do with it? 
Yeah, great question. Um, so a lot of um, PR people think that once they've, they've landed the story, they move on to the next story. And that, like my work here is done. I actually think landing the story is only half of the job. And then the other half of it is what do you do with it now that it has, it has appeared? So let's just keep going with the Oprah Magazine um, example. Say you get something in Oprah Magazine. Wonderful. That has a shelf life of about a month, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And then you're reaching the people who pick up that magazine and read it that month. But what about everybody else in the world? And how do you use that article to really show that you now have some uh, national awareness and national credibility for the work that you're doing? So I always encourage, I was just in a meeting with a client this afternoon where I was saying, we need to think more about how we can really be maximizing this media coverage after we get it. So a few ideas of what that could look like. The easiest one, the one everyone is probably already doing is social media, social media, social media. Link to that article, snap a picture of that article. If it's an interview, like a radio or a TV interview that you did, capture that audio, share it on your social media channels, share it, you know, every couple of days for the first week on your social media channels about how excited you were to be included. Tag the media company when you do that because they all have big audiences. Uh, many of them are actually looking for story sources that have big social media followings themselves. So if you have 20,000 followers on Instagram and you post something on there about your Oprah story that you were just in, that's an extra 20,000 eyes on Oprah as well. And so many publications, um, I happen to have a PR friend who was trying to land a story with, I think, Fast Company a few months ago, and they asked, how many social media followers does your source have? Because they're looking for people to also help promote their stories. So they, they tend to like it when you do that. Cop, uh, tag them in your social media posts so they're also getting that visibility. So outside of social media, uh, if your company is big enough that you have a pretty good and evolving website um, and you're getting a decent amount of media coverage, add a news section to your website. And now that you know, I've put this out there, you'll probably start noticing more companies that have this. But if you can have a little list of media coverage on your website, uh, when people come to your website and are sort of just poking around on there to find out more about, their, about you, it's impressive to see a news site with uh, you know, half a dozen or more different clips, uh, different types of stories that you've been involved in. So put it on your website, share it on social media. Um, depending on the format that it's in, if it's an electronic version that you can like grab a link and send around, do that. I'm sure that you all have a database or at least email lists of clients, prospects, friends, family. Uh, pull that together and send it, send it to them and say, out this Oprah issue I was just included in so excited about this she called me the best baker east of the Mississippi or whatever the case may be just tell people about it um, through emails through your website through social media through you know if you're a blogger write a blog post about your experience working with Oprah magazine and then share your blog post on social media um, a lot of this just goes back to what I was saying earlier about just starting to think a little bit more like a PR person, just being more aware of where this conversation could go and where you can be involved in it and how you can tell more people.
Just quietly, if any of Oprah or Oprah's people are listening, I'd be quite happy to be in your magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a big social media following. That's right. I have a big social media following and I have interesting things to say. So Oprah and team, if you're hearing us, me and Corey are happy to uh, appear in your pages or I'll just, I'll just drag you along with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. Happy right. to be dragged along there. You know, we, we get that thing in the newspaper and the magazine, whatever. We get the photo shoot done. And they're like, cool, I'm done. It's not like that. You have, like, you have to milk it. You know, the thing about the celebrity stuff is also, I say to people, if you're going to do a cake for a celebrity because you just really like that celebrity, don't expect that they're going to pimp you out afterwards. Like, you've got to be the one who then, get, like, it's self-acquired exposure, sort of. And mm-hmm. so, so, so to round back to that social media thing, Remember I told you earlier, industry is full of introverts. And so social media is like their stomping ground. They love it because they don't have to be seen. They don't have to be heard. They can do it on their phone in bed at night. Like social media is the playground of the introverts. And I freely admit that I have a real kind of love-hate relationship with that concept because yeah on the one hand I can see that social media is super powerful and it's also super fun and it's a great way to engage in conversation with your customers and potential customers it's got lots and lots of positives right on the flip side of that though I have a really hard time with the particularly local cake makers who invest so much time and so much effort in the social media thing And yet they do like their neighbor next door doesn't know that they make cake. And I have a real, I have a real problem with that. Like you should not be the best kept secret in your neighborhood, but have 10,000 followers from like Argentina or something like that's not (laughs) a good thing. So can you tell me, I guess I'm wanting you to tell me like, you know, here's some cool stuff you can do on social media, but I need you to agree with me, Corey, is what I'm saying. And I need you to be like, but here's the stuff you got to do locally. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts about this whole social media thing? And how do we make it work for us? Because my thing is, if you were just talking on social media into the abyss of people all over the world, that's not gaining you any PR or any marketing help at all. But right. I get that people want to do it because it's easy, quick, you know, free, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so let's let's get real about social media for a minute. Um, obviously, social media is very powerful. A lot of people are getting their information from social media. It's easy to do, and probably everyone listening to this should be doing something on social media. That said, it is not the be-all and end-all of getting the word out about your business. And like you said, if you have 17,000 followers in Argentina and you happen to be a baker in London, what good are 17,000 followers in Argentina to your business? So if you want to go down the social media uh, path a ways, obviously you can post whatever you want all day long for the most part for free. There are some really effective ways that are fairly inexpensive to do some very targeted social media promotion. You can sponsor posts, boost posts, Uh, sort of, it it really, this is where we cross over kind of into the advertising world, but you can usually drill down pretty specifically into geographic areas. I know on LinkedIn, for example, you can find CFOs who are working for tech companies in the Pacific Northwest, if you wanted to, or probably you can find, you know, brides who are planning a summer wedding. Like, I guess you can't get that specific on LinkedIn, but my point is that you can drill down pretty specifically on who you're targeting your posts to. So one piece of advice would be to really maximize what you're doing on social media. Be strategic about it. Don't be just sloppy about it and throw stuff up there because it's easy and you feel great about having 30,000 followers. 
but none of them are actually people who are going to buy anything from your business because that's just not a good use of your time. And if you are an entrepreneur and you are trying to run and grow a business, you need to make good use of your time. None of us have extra piles of time laying around in this world. So be thoughtful about your social media posts and be strategic about you know, spending a little bit of money so that you can target your posts to really specific people who are in your area who might actually buy your products or come to your bakery or shop at your store. Now, outside of that, um, I want to talk about this introvert thing for, for just a minute because I just want to remind everyone who owns their own business that you are the expert in baking wedding cakes or cupcakes or whatever it is that you do. If someone wants to interview you, let's go back to this word earned. It is because you have earned your way into that story. And it is because you know more about the person who's interviewing you. You know more about this topic than the person who is interviewing you. And you probably know more about this topic than 99% of the people who are going to be reading this article or listening to your interview. So even introverts can go into these conversations with a lot a, a bucket full of confidence because the only reason anyone ever wants to interview you for things like this is because you know your stuff and you are the expert in this space. So, you know, a lot of, uh, we could have a whole other conversation about sort of next level PR and marketing and, and media training and what that looks like. And we spend a lot of time media training, even the CEOs and corporate executives, people go on a broadcast TV interview and sort of freeze up when they're asked, you know, questions or they're, they're worried about being asked a question they don't know the answer to. But I just want to remind you that you are the expert on whatever the topic is that you're being interviewed on. So, you know, go into it boldly. You know your stuff. You're not going to be asked questions that you don't know the answers to. And if you are, bring it back around to something you want to talk about. You see this happen all the time. So, um, don't let being an introvert stop you from putting yourself out there a little bit. And maybe even most importantly, just make sure that people who are around you know what you do. People like to understand what their neighbors and the people they interact with do. You know, what do you do is a really common icebreaker when people are getting to know each other. So if you're looking for more weddings or you're looking for more bar mitzvahs or you're looking for more birthday parties, tell people. Just this is this is free, easy. We can all be doing this. Just put it out there and make sure you're telling people. You know, I've owned my own bakery for ten years, but I'd really like to be doing a lot more birthday parties because I have my own kids now, and I realize what a big deal that is. Just start putting that out there all the time. Uh, and just the social, casual conversations that you're having with people. I often, I often say that like sometimes marketing is easier than we think. Like I gave my business cards to my husband, to my friends, to my in-laws, to like everybody who knew me. I was like, can you guys just keep a couple of, you know, business cards in your wallet or whatever? And honestly, they were the best marketing people ever because, you know, my husband works with people who are getting married, who are having babies, who are doing all this kind of stuff that requires food that I make, Right. And my in-laws, same thing. They run across people who, you know, their friends' grandkids are having bar mitzvahs or whatever it is, right? And sometimes you can do this kind of stuff, this kind of talking in ways that does not require you running up to people and going, hey, buy my stuff, you know? like Absolutely. And, you know, we all work with people. Every one of us works with people who are having birthdays. 
and yes. getting married and having babies and having events where they need baked goods. And so I think also that people like to be thought of as, you know, I mean, I'm going to call them connectors. I like it when people come to me and say, Hey, do you know someone who could bake a wedding cake? But do you have a great photographer? Do you have a great plumber? I want to be the person who can say, Oh yes, you've got to call my friend Michelle, or you've got to call this person that we just worked with and loved. So I think you're not even asking a favor of people to just have your name at the ready when they're asked, who do you recommend for a wedding cake? You know, anybody, people like to be able to say, Oh, I've got a great one. Oh, it makes, cause it makes us seem like rock stars, right? Just by being yeah. the, the, the connector or the recommender, like makes us into total badasses, right? We're like, cause I know all the good people in town. So, you know, go with them because I've already tried them out or whatever. And, That's right. And honestly, we're time poor, right? So what's the quickest way to find anything is ask your friends because it's almost quicker than Googling and having to work your way through it, right? You get immediate social proof. If a friend likes that plumber or that cake maker, that whatever, you've saved yourself a whole bunch of legwork, right? That's right. And I'm sure that, you know, you're in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Now I have a handful of friends that I go to first and foremost, whenever I'm looking for anything, I know who the people are, who are, who have the connections, who have the recommendations. And they're the first people I ask. If you can think of who those connectors are in your life, make sure that those people know what you do and what kind of business you're trying to attract, how you're trying to grow your business, what your little niche is, what, what kind of customers do you want more of coming into your door and make sure the connectors in your life know that so that the next time somebody asks them for a referral on that, they pass along your name. On that, actually, hot tip on that one. So a lot of people will do events like like wedding fairs and, you know, kids fairs and whatever. And they always, the introverts will always say to me, Michelle, I'm terrible at breaking the ice and I can't talk to strangers. And my answer is always find your talky friend. Find your talkie friend, hire them for the day, get them to stand at the front of your stall, get them to be the person who draws the person in. And once they've broken the ice, they can pass over to you and say, why don't you chat to our cake designer about this? Blah, blah. So if, yeah. you, if you are not the talkie, if you are not the connector, if you are not the person who can break the ice, if you are the introvert, rope in that friend or that family member who's good at that. Because we all have someone in our lives that's good at that, right? We do. And I would also say, if you're at an event, no matter where you are, anywhere in your life, the other people who are in that same spot with you, you automatically have something in common with them because you're at the same event, right? So that's always a really good, pretty simple way to break the ice is just to remember, like, what are you looking for here? <laughs> like, we're all, we're in the same place at the same time. What brings you here? You can talk about what brought you here. So I love the tip about finding your chatty friend. And if it's, if it falls on you to do it yourself and you're not comfortable, I think just a really easy thing to remember is we already have something in common because we're both standing at this same show or conference or cocktail party or event. Anytime I'm at a party and whatever it is, anytime I am at a party where I don't know people, uh, let's say we all, we all know the host or the hostess. If I need to break the ice and strike up a conversation with someone, my first question is always, so how do you know, Michelle? Like we all are here because we know the same person. That's a really easy way to start. That's a, that's a great one. That is so, you know what? That's a brilliant question. Wow. I love that one. Like, Cause that's so true. That's, you just have to find the common denominator, right? And if the common denominator right. is that we all just know this one chick, then great. You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That is genius. 
Okay, so let's say we are doing all the right things. We're contacting all the newspapers and magazines, and you know, we're we're getting it all out there. But let's say we've been doing this for a little while, and we haven't got much traction. Like we're not getting very far. So then what? Let's say we want to hire somebody or we want to keep doing like, what do you do if you've tried it yourself for a while and it's only worked a little bit or it's only, you've run out of time or you're just not getting what you want to get out of it. Would you say the next step is hire someone? And if so, how do I go about like, how do I find somebody who does PR for cake makers or a small business or whatever? So I would say uh, you kind of have two options for next steps. I, I think the immediate next step would be find someone who's also a small business owner who does PR or marketing or social media. There are social media consultants everywhere in the world now. And same with PR and advertising consultants. And more and more, these people are sort of small shops, people working virtually from home. Maybe it's a team of one or two. I will always meet with someone who just wants to have coffee and talk about PR. I am an extrovert. I happen to love PR. And as an entrepreneur, I'm always happy to help give advice to other entrepreneurs who might be struggling. So, you know, start to, um, you know, Google around, look around, ask around, ask these connectors in your community. Find someone who does PR or social media or advertising or whatever you're thinking about exploring more deeply. Find a, a solo entrepreneur or a small business who does that and see if they'll sit down and have coffee with you and you tell them, I have tried all of these things. Nothing is working for me. What am I doing wrong? And odds are good that person's going to be able to give you some really good solid advice. And I can't speak for everyone, but I would happily do that over a cup of coffee and, and you would leave there with three or four ideas of new things that you could try. If you are at your wit's end or just your company has grown enough and the time has come for you to enlist some professional help, um, you'll want to look for someone who has experience working or representing companies that are similar to yours. That could be other bakeries. It doesn't have to be other bakeries. Have they worked with other small businesses, other women-owned businesses, other businesses who are somehow similar to yours or have a story that's similar to yours that they've had success telling? So, you're going to want to look for that. Um, a big deal in the PR space especially is do they have media contacts at, say, The Knot or Oprah or whatever types of publications that you want to be in? So that could certainly be a question that you're asking a, a potential partner. You know, what types of media contacts do you have? Can you call someone up at The Knot and have them answer your phone or answer your email and consider what you're saying? I tend to think that the existing relationships are a little bit overrated. They're important. You should ask about them. But what I think is more important is that your PR partner knows how to establish relationships with the right people. Do they know where to look? Do they understand who your audience is, what those people are reading or watching, where they're getting their information, and then how to find the people who are publishing that information and establish a relationship with them. So a kind of random example, I have a client that does a lot of work in the construction industry. I did not come into this world or this industry with a whole, you know, Rolodex full of contacts at construction industry publications. What I do have 
is I know how to find them. I know how to establish relationships with them. I know how to speak their language. Um, PR people should be, a lot of times people think that if you're in public relations, it's because you're a good people person. I think if you're in public relations, you need to be a good writer because a lot of the work that you do is with journalists and the language that they speak is writing. And so if you want a journalist to take your email or your story or whatever seriously, you need to be an adept writer. If you send them something that's full of typos and incomplete sentences, it's a threat to your credibility and they're not interested in having you on their show or in their story. So um, I think that finding PR people who know how to find and connect with the right people is more important than their existing contacts. So that's another question that you could ask. How would you go about reaching the people that you think we need to reach so that I can grow my business through PR? And they should have a really solid answer for you there. Um, They should be able to run down for you a, a list of what you will get out of this partnership. I will say that, uh, public relations and media, media outreach in particular can be very hard to promise. I can't promise you that you're going to be, I could do everything right to try to get your story in the news tomorrow. And then there could be some sort of disaster and that's all the news covers tomorrow. And it's completely out of my control. So it's hard to promise deliverables that are not a hundred percent in our control, but a potential media or PR partner should be able to give you a rough idea of what deliverables you are going to get out of this relationship And then I would also want to know more about who are the people who will be servicing your team. Um, How long have they been part of the team? Who are those individuals? Uh, What is their background? Do they know how to make the right contacts on behalf of your business? I think those are all really smart questions to sort of get the conversation going if you're looking for a, a consulting partner. It was interesting. I just had a conversation with a PR company who were keen to represent me and they were really honest. Actually, one of the reasons I I really liked them is they were really honest and upfront. And they said, we currently only have one other food-based business in our kind of stable of clientele. And we would really like you to come on board because then that's a part of our our business we can grow. And I was like, oh, there's an interesting thought. And she actually, she, she addressed that exact thing. She was like, you know, we, it's not so much that we have those contacts now, but we know how to get to those. She said exactly that. We know how to get to those people. Yeah. Well, you've raised an interesting point in a debate that I have frequently with another PR friend of mine. You know, do you want the PR firm that represents every bakery in town? Or do you want the PR firm who doesn't represent any other bakeries? You might think that you want the PR firm that represents 15 other bakeries. But what happens when they get a call from the morning show that says, hey, it's National Chocolate Cupcake Day. Do you have someone who can come on? All of a sudden, they have to, it's like choosing your favorite child, right? Because they have 15 clients who can bake chocolate cupcakes. Who do they pick? Yep. However, if you are the only bakery on that client list and they get the phone call about National Chocolate Cupcake Day, you're a shoo-in for that segment, right? You're not competing for that PR firm's attention with any other bakery. So, you know, there are pros and cons to each of those scenarios to be sure. My advice there would just be think it through and ask some questions about that. If you're being solicited or talking to a PR partner who says, oh, I represent 10 other bakeries or I've never represented another bakery. That's a really good jumping off place for a a really smart conversation about what that means for you. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was really impressed actually. Like she was really honest, really honest. 
She's like, we only have one. And she goes, and she actually made a really good point, which was that food is easy to sell. Sweet food is easy to sell in the PR <laughs> world, right? Because like you said, everybody likes to eat. Everybody likes sweets. Everybody likes chocolate, whatever. And you can connect a sweet to just about any event happening in the world. You really can. And yeah. not, not just holidays and whatever. It's not that hard to connect sweets to summer or sweets to school starting back or sweets to just about anything. It's not that hard to come up with some sort, you know. One of the things I laughed about a couple of months ago was when fidget spinners were a big deal. And within like five minutes, every cookie maker I knew was making edible fidget spinners. <laughs> like, that's a pretty easy thing to do. And there's actually on the same topic of cookies, there's a, a cookie maker called Sweet Ams, Amber Schreiber, and she does this thing called Cooking the News. And she will make a cookie like in the shape of like, you know, Prince when he passed away or whatever. And she literally creates things based on news headlines. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's not that hard to connect what we do. And honestly, sweet food in particular is very PRable. Not that that's a word, but you know, it's very it's easy to get us into these things because everybody wants, you know, what we do. Right. Yeah, it's true. And I, and I love the honesty of the PR woman that you were speaking to and I would not hesitate for a second to be only, you know, bakery client number two at that firm. I think that's a pretty good place to be, actually, because you're not competing for the bakery mindshare of their workers with 10 other people. But they've got one other one, so they've got some credibility, you know, they've got some contacts in that space. That feels to me like a pretty good place for you to be. Yeah, I, d I definitely appreciated her honesty, I have to say. And actually, yeah. even f even further, I have to, she was like a bit of a rock star. Like I said to her, so if I do this, does it start like now? And she actually said to me now, because now it's, you know, we're recording this middle of October. She's like, actually, now it's too late. Like now there's not enough of a lead time into Christmas or whatever. She's like, we would be better off starting with you in like January because January is a slow news period. And like, generally speaking, the press is desperate for interesting content in January. And so she's like, actually, we'd be better waiting till January and then starting like a big campaign in January. And I was like, oh, that never occurred to me, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's really smart. And it brings up something else. I'm really glad you said that because um, before we ever started this conversation, one of the points I wanted to make was that PR, and this counts for social media also, the value of it does not happen overnight, not even close. These things take time. It takes time to cultivate brand awareness, no matter what approach you take. So, you know, you're not going to build a following of 30,000 social media followers between now and the holidays. <laughs> you might not build a following of 30,000 social media followers between now and eternity. Like these things take a long time. And I always tell people with a PR campaign specifically, you need to give it, I usually say six months to see real results from it because Think about the glossy print magazine. Well, think about Oprah magazine or, you know, any of these wedding magazines. Those editorial teams are working on issues easily four months and in some cases six months in advance. So you could call those editors tomorrow and they could say, we love you and we want to do a story about you. And it's not going to run until next June or next April, or whatever the case may be. And even when the, these stories do start to run, it just takes a while for this momentum to build. Someone might see your story tomorrow and think, that's where I'm going for my next birthday cake, except their birthday is 11 months from now. So don't expect any, don't expect any of this to happen overnight, and don't get discouraged if you've given it two months and you feel like it's not working. 
you've got to stick with it. Yeah, that is, uh, yes. Number one, none of this stuff happens overnight. And I don't think any marketing, social media, whatever can happen from a place of desperation. Mm-mm. Because that's when you agree to do all this kind of crazy stuff for free and for trade and for whatever. Corey, you have just been this like fountain of knowledge. And I feel <laughs> like I could talk to you forever because you have now provided all this amazing information for the listeners of this podcast and the followers of the Business of Baking in general. Thank you ever so much for agreeing with me, even though we didn't plan that to happen. <laughs> and also just providing such great information. I'm sure that this um, podcast episode is just going to be like, people are going to be like, oh my God, that never occurred to me that I can just call my local radio station or my local TV station. It's not, it's actually not as hard as we make it out to be in our heads. And I really appreciate that you broke it down and made it much more approachable. So thank you so much for that. I'm You're welcome. For anybody who's interested in following uh, Corey's business or finding out more about her industry or wanting to get in touch with her, I will put all her various uh, links and social media and whatever information in the show notes of this blog. So you can find her at www.keatonpr.com. But I will put all those links on there so that you guys can all stalk her and follow her and ask her your own follow-up questions if you've got them. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to the Business of Baking podcast today, and we will uh, catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.